And welcome in to another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I'm Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, is a man who wears shades but doesn't throw shade. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? Doing good, Kieran. Some of my commenters would disagree. Some people <laughs> think I throw too much shade. Some people think I don't throw enough shade. Some people think I created a fake account to respond to the comments. I didn't. I would just respond myself. Yeah, it, it, sometimes it's hard, man. Sometimes it's hard. Like Drake said, my comment section killing me. Is this uh, is this Twitter comments or the comments uh, on the athletic? Uh, on the athletic, which which I don't always read, but sometimes I do. The reason I don't always read is is what I'm talking about right now. So, <laughs> but hey, the people got takes because it's spring training. There's some interest. All right, they probably the most interest there's been around this team in a long time. So I am thankful for that. Thankful for the guys who are reading. If you got takes, you know what? That's cool. At least at least the people are engaged right now. Exactly. And there's no better time to be engaged in the beginning of spring training on what is a more promising season potentially than uh, in quite a while. Which, speaking of, so you are down there in Lakeland, as promised. And so we had an actual pitchers and catchers report date and a lot of volunteers coming in beforehand by the time this podcast publishes it will be the first official full squad workout so you've been in lakeland about a week now what's kind of the vibes of actually boots on the ground as opposed to us having to talk about it the comments and on the athletic and on twitter uh you've been around the guys you've heard from aj and scott and all that stuff what's kind of the vibe right now vibe that's a spring training word if i've ever heard one it's good i think the thing that stands out everyone's already here man i've never seen look Spring training these days, everyone shows up early. The report dates are kind of fictional, but I've never seen this many position players just already here, raring and ready to go. Seems like all, all these pitchers are like already built up, ready to go. Kind of remind us that spring training is probably too long for the modern athlete. Because um, some of these guys look like they could jump in a game right now. Um, as much as we're going to talk about, oh, the Tigers are young, they're fun, they're energetic. Like, that's true, but so far the attitude's like, it's pretty businesslike. Like, these dudes are itching to get to work. Uh, so I think that's what has stood out to me the most. Well, businesslike, uh, part of that is stating your business plan, your business goals out in the open. At least, I'm sure there's been more, at least Scoobal and Torque have been on the record leading up and in Lakeland of saying like, look, we're going after the division, you know, getting the, basically getting the dance and see what happens. Uh, I like that. Like, what is spring training for, Cody? Spring training is for us to take small things and blow them out of proportion and just realize <laughs> that we're doing it and we do this every year and I'm going to do it right now. Like, I like the fact that these guys decided like, hey, well, what am I doing just hanging out, you know, wherever? Why don't I just go to Lakeland. Let's get, let's get going. I can't wait. You know, I think that's a good overall sign of team health. I do. Does it translate to a lot of wins? Probably not. Is it, you know, better than the alternative of everyone just showing up right at 9am or whatever the day of? Yeah, probably, you know, but I'm excited about it. It's cool to hear. And it's also cool to hear players that, especially Scooble, obviously more so than Torque, although Torque's got, you know, he's got some skins on the wall in his short career, kind of being frank about what they think they can achieve and what they want to achieve in a way that seemed a little bit more serious or as you said business-like than uh than years past because we've heard him say like oh yeah we'd like to win the division we'd like to and now it's like yeah to be fair i heard matthew boyd 
give a very convincing case for the team every single spree in the last like three or four years. So, you know, well, but, but, uh, but again, that's, that's a Boyd thing. Like you, I, I guarantee you Torque wouldn't have been comfortable enough to say this last year. This you know, is just true. in general. This is true. And, uh, and, and Scooble, as much as we believe in him and he's like the quintessential dark horse, dark horse for the Cy Young, uh, the way he finished last year, certainly I'm sure made him feel like he could be a voice to that. You know what I mean? And like without a Boyd and without Eduardo, someone's got to be the voice of the staff. Right. And, uh, and he certainly has the ability and the kind of intense personality to do so. Uh, so like, those are all kind of fun things. I did actually have, well, go ahead. If, if we're talking about the messaging, I think we got to talk about what the, the manager and the president of baseball ops has said, because it is a little bit different. And I don't have a problem with it because uh, this is AJ Hinch and Scott Harris. Like they're smart, level-headed guys. They're they're kind of reasoning with the fan base here. I think a couple people have taken it a bit out of context. Neither of them said, "Oh, we're going to be bad" or anything like that. AJ said we're unafraid to talk about winning, but he said what he said a lot of last year. Like we haven't earned the right to talk about division crowns or anything like that yet. We have to go do it. Scott Harris, uh, here, look, this guy's excited for the young progress in his organization, but he's tried to be really clear and saying, hey, we know we are a young team. We know we have young hitters. The reality is some young hitters are going to struggle. He's trying to be transparent with the fans about that, so it's not a surprise. Now, I understand if you're a fan out there and you hear that and you think, oh, I'm supposed to get fired up knowing, you know, these guys are all going to go through rough patches. So the messaging, you know, they're especially after the success the Lions had, there are people who are going to want everyone to be Dan Campbell and wear a hat that says grit on it and be fired up all the time. People who run the Tigers, I think, are pretty good at their jobs. They're different personalities. And so their messaging has been, it's just been more level-headed. Uh, so I, I don't know. As a fan, like, what do you think about that, Karen? So when I see the quotes from AJ, the first thing that kind of popped in my head was look at his resume. He knows what a division <laughs> championship team yes. looks like, like going in, like it's that or bust or higher. He knows what a world, what a pennant winning team looks like. He knows what a world series winning team looks like. So he's not naive to the steps it takes to get there, what the talent level is in order to sort of think like this, it's, it's this or that. You know, I appreciated where he was coming from. And Scott was, I like the word there that you use, transparent, because... You know what I like about, you know what I like about this, and specifically what Scott said? We're treating the fans as intelligent. We're not, we're not treating them as idiots and trying to sell something that's not all the way there. Like, we're, we're being real, say, hey, you guys are knowledgeable, knowledgeable baseball people. Here's kind of the state of our team. Here's what to expect. We're not going to sell you a load of goods that's not entirely true because there's some teams that do that there's probably been tigers leadership in the past that has done that yeah and look it as often whenever scott or aj but i think especially scott it stands out to me more in the in his you know whatever going into his second year uh at the helm is that he says things and they're not like all that deep but you never really thought of it that way and you're like oh wow yeah that duh like one of the things that I thought was interesting about the offseason, he kind of confirmed it, is I would say over the past couple years, maybe not from an individual player perspective, but 
an organization and, and, and its use of resources perspective, pitching has been a strong suit, right? I think we could say like the use of pitching for the Tigers has been a strong suit these past couple of years. So that would be their strength. And they went and made their strength stronger, which I think is an underrated sort of year-to-year team-building philosophy. Everyone kind of wants to say like, all right, well, this is what we do really well, so let's bring this up here. Sometimes you have to kind of let this come naturally, and you can still strengthen this side. And I think that was uh, basically what Scott Harris said. It's like, yeah, we we know we're going to have to be a well-run pitching team because of like you said young hitters and the struggles they might go through we're gonna have to have close games and we're gonna have to be able to win low scoring games how do you do that pitching and defense although it's baseball so a lot of times hitting comes uh comes at the expense of defense but you see what i'm saying like that was a very per it confirmed that it was a very purposeful offseason and i appreciated him being frank and, and and honest about that and i don't it didn't like upset me to hear him kind of say these things actually kind of made me a little bit more encouraged because that seems to it seems a little bit more purposeful than some teams of the past if you look at kind of the way even since we've been doing this podcast Cody if you look at some of the ways like the teams were constructed as it's moving forward right now it feels a lot more purposeful and uh and definitely I think a result of Scott Harris's imprint on this organization I think purposeful is a good word for almost everything Scott Harris has done since uh, taking over as the president of baseball ops. I think the Tigers would like to be competitive this year. I do think they see a world in which they can win this division. I also think the reality is this is all part of a longer term plan. Scott can't ever say this out loud, but I've always felt this guy's not necessarily in a hurry. Thank you. He's got a business economics background. Bay Area guy, what what do venture capitalists do? They come up with startups or they buy out companies and usually you have kind of like a five-year plan. And you're not just trying to bleed money in year two. You want to be working toward profitability. But the reality is you're 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 gonna lose a little money and you hope in year five suddenly you're making it big. And that's not a direct comparison to what's going on with the Tigers, but I think it's somewhat applicable. Like this is year two of a longer term plan. There's been a lot of progress. This team can be competitive. But obviously, if, if they were all in on trying to win the World Series, they probably would sign a DH and might have spent even more on pitching and might be doing something different at third base. In year two of this plan, they're not all the way there. And in its own way, Scott is being kind of upfront about that, which maybe as if some fans may not like it, but I, I think I at least appreciate that he's being real about what's going on and and on some level wants the people to understand that this team and and how the results play out this year will be a fascinating case study i think for baseball gurus in general because it's this you know rebuild that we term it started several years ago with a you know obviously a different manager and then you bring in a powerful manager and then you replace the president of baseball ops and it's like where where's the clock start you know what i mean like it, it is it, it is well it, yeah it's it's a rebuild that was rebooted and i did use the term five-year plan scott said he doesn't believe in five or three-year plans or whatever which is smart because baseball is a very fluid game so that was more like an analogy than a you know yeah and to me 
I, I was thinking, especially after Scott's comments about you know the young hitters and the struggles they'll go through and 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 the, and the pitching additions they made and and processes behind those. I was thinking, you know, it's it's kind of funny, right? Like we think it was a rebooted rebuild, which it which it was, which it is. But at the same time, we kind of landed about like not exactly, and I know it's uh, this is a, completely an oversimplification, but we kind of landed about where it would would have been reasonably expected in terms of team strength and, and, and organization uh, health in certain areas uh, of the team. What I mean by that is this was a pitcher-heavy rebuild. I think a lot of that was circumstantial, but that's how it played out. And then you kind of bring the hitters along afterward, and you have guys like, you know, Scooble wasn't, you know, you didn't draft him at the time, banking on him to be, you know, heading to this rebuild, but that's how it turned out. You're like, he's obviously ahead of some of these younger players they're going to be relying on. So at, at the end of the day, the off criticized Alavilla pitching heavy rebuild kind of ended up exactly where it was kind of supposed to, with a lot of different intricacies here and there and different people, different voices, and all that stuff. I just, I just thought, I, I just kind of found it a little amusing. Yeah, it's an interesting way to look at it. Like, obviously it's not been linear. I think the hitters in a lot of ways have jumped ahead of the pitchers. Like the most exciting things about this team are Torkelson and Green and Carpenter. Your pitching rebuild. I mean, the best one of them is Scooble. We don't know what we're getting out of Mize. The days of Matt Manning being like a future ace. Eh, you're kind of hoping he can develop into a mid-rotation starter. Alex Fido's in the bullpen. So the whole thing was kind of flipped on its head, but you're right in that you feel better about the pitching and you're waiting on more of the hitting to develop and come. Um, so I don't know. We, we can, we can talk about the big picture of this organization for days. Let's dive into some nitty gritty of spring training. Well, one more kind of big ish picture thing, but specific to this year, uh, I wanted to get out of here because we're getting a considerable amount, Cody of Parker Meadows hype. Now, mm -hmm. I've always loved his profile. I, I love, you know, the great athlete in the outfield and around the bases and, you know, oh, man, if the if the bat could ever get going. And to his credit, he got it going. He projects to be an opening day starter in Major League Baseball. Awesome. And we rave about the defense. I, I keep telling myself, is it possible? Like, is this, a, is this a gold glove finalist here that we're, like, you know, about to watch? And to me, that seems in the realm of possibility. But he is kind of, in my opinion, like, make a player the 2024 Detroit Tigers. It's Parker Meadows. It took a while to get here. You're excited as hell about it. Uh, on the field, you're pretty confident, like the ball field. And in the batter's box, you're still kind of waiting to, and hoping that it's going to work out. You know, I, I hope that analogy kind of tracks a little bit. Because the Parker Meadows thing is exciting, but I... I'd be lying to, to, to tell you, Cody, if it's not kind of scary, because we're talking ourselves into a lot, just mm -hmm. like, again, guilty as charged of doing it, but we're talking ourselves into a lot for him, kind of at the same rate that we are the success that this team can have in 2024. I think they align well. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think some of the question marks around Meadows are lost on the Tigers decision makers. You see just this huge upside and ceiling that he has. Parker's one of my favorite guys in this clubhouse to cover. Great personality. Obviously, a ton of fun to watch. I think, I've probably said it before, sometimes we're probably treating him as too much of a sure thing. The defense is really good, 
But do you know how hard it is to be actually a plus center fielder at the major league level? I think the best defender I've still seen is Derek Hill. Derek Hill in his short time in the major leagues, I think was negative defensive run save. And the reason, because in center field, you are compared to every other center fielder in the league. Every team thinks they have a tremendous center fielder. So to actually be a gold glove center fielder, you have to be the best of the best. Every team's best athlete is in center field. Okay, so you, you got to trump all these other guys. Hard to do. You could be negative defensive run saved and still be a heck of a defender in center field. So it's it's that's a lot to wrap your mind around. At the plate, look, the guy's got some some raw power. He's obviously made a ton of progress as a hitter. Uh, but we talk a lot about prospect lists. Fangraphs just put out theirs. I think their scouting reports are probably the best of the industry. And, you know, it's pretty real. Said he's a little too long and vulnerable against up and away fastballs to project sustained offensive performance at this level. Talks about some of his other weaknesses, righty changeups, uh, struggles with soft and way. Either you're getting him out or limiting his raw power. Lacks the plus offensive attribute of an impact everyday player. He's a competent and dangerous enough left-handed hitter to project as a complementary regular, the lefty half of the center field platoon. That's more pessimistic than probably what the average Tigers fan thinks Parker Meadows has. And I think there's upside for him to be better than that. But this scouting report, kind of a raw and realistic look at, you know, probably the most likely scenario for Parker Meadows' career. And he's really young. So what if he struggles out of the gate this year and how does that impact the rest of the team? Could actually have a ton of ripple effects. Or let's just say he gets hurt. So he pulls a hammy because he's a, a center fielder. Who plays center field? What are we doing there? It's one of the, the, the most important questions surrounding this roster right now. Yeah, and, you know, you're not either one of the guys that you project to be in the corner. You're not really, you're not putting them, well, outside of Riley, obviously, because that's the natural inclination. But are you, that's another interesting, like, follow up question is, like, over under innings at center for Riley. And that will that, yeah. and and that will probably be directly related to the health and bat performance of a Parker Meadows, because it's one yeah. of those things that we at this time last year, we were talking about man if he could, if him being Parker, if he could get it going, like that solves a lot of issues, and to the extent that he that could have happened last year, it did. Now it's a whole another animal, and, and and the opposite is true. If he doesn't get it going offensively. Then that that's gonna that's one problem that causes about four more. Yeah, and I think AJ Hinch has already said this, talking about the construction of the roster. I have to be prepared for every scenario. So the Tigers are thinking about all of this, and I don't think they know what the over under on Riley in center field is. They have a tough decision to make there. I think in an ideal world, you post him up in the outfield corners, and you say that's it. He's done in center. But you kind of can't do that because you kind of need a little insurance for Parker Meadows. And even then they're debating, okay, do we just stick Riley in right field and let him be great there? But then you have to move Carpenter to left field where he's not as good. But do you shift them both around? Is that good for either young player? If you don't want Riley in center and something happens with Meadows, you're probably looking at like Matt Veerling, which then messes up your plan at third base, which then impacts the back end of the roster. I made the case last week. I think you got to take Justin Henry Malloy. I still kind of feel that way, but early vibes, Jahan's got an uphill battle. I think for this scenario we just outlined, Tigers are going to lean toward another player who can 
play the infield, probably a right-handed bat. So we're talking Ryan Kreidler, the dark horse, Eddie's Leonard, and new signing Keston Hira. Um, among the candidates, there are more. Andre Lipschitz, Winston Perez, uh, probably a couple guys I'm not even thinking of right now. Uh, but I think that's that's probably the biggest roster battle. And Akil Badu, too. So you have Jahan and Badu. Badu hits left-handed. Like, you can see a role for him, but eh. Malloy, I think, is the most intriguing offensively. The Fangraph scouting report. Kind of negative on him. Thinks his plate discipline won't translate as well because pitchers are going to attack him in the zone. Thinks he'll whiff in the zone. That was enlightening to read. But in terms of getting anyone at bats, probably what you need is a right-handed infielder. So uh, th th those are some questions we're going to be wrestling with for the next few weeks here. So you don't think Jay Hen will be playing backup center field, right? Half platoon. <laughs> uh not no 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 and that's that that was that was news that came out this week he's not playing third base if he could play third base i think he'd be on the roster the reality is this guy was so rough at third base that tigers have kind of pulled the plug on him so he can only play corner outfield and that does not help his roster case one of the few guys that scott and aj are like just do the one thing yeah so that's <laughs> unfortunately that's pretty telling <laughs> and you know like I'm taking these quotes with like speaking of Jay and I'm taking these quotes with a grain of salt because you know it as as frank and honest as Scott Harris and AJ can be like they still have to you know they can't be negative toward their guys right so like they're talking about some of the athletic traits of Jay Hen and Scott Harris was just like one sentence away from using the term sneaky athletic and I was like well you know <laughs> you, you guys are gonna yeah, be surprised with yeah. like foot speed and you know this that the other thing and I was like I don't know man. I don't know if th this uh, announcement would be made if. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 oh, if I, I got to find that direct quote because it's actually pretty funny. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty good. And and look, like I, I hope Jay Hen's taking it in stride. I read somewhere that he he felt. Dude's got dude's such a fun personality, man. I love him. Well, I hope he can hit. Something of note is that now he's year two in an organization where he actually has some some sort of footing and, and relationships with staff, players, etc. Because he was talking about how, you know, it wasn't that fun last year because it was kind of like first day at a new school, more or less. I'm not quoting him here. So yeah. hopefully he's more comfortable that way. Maybe that'll lead to some better results, more desirable. Okay, results. okay. Here, here's the Harris quote on Jay Hen. I think he has a little bit more athleticism and foot speed and arm strength than we traditionally give him credit for. Traditionally give him credit. <laughs> Sne he's a sneaky Sne Sneaky athlete. <laughs> uh, look, look. He can put it all to rest if, if he can hit. That's really... Yeah, I talk about keeping the main thing the main thing. That's really the thing for him. Like you gotta, you gotta use that hit tool has to be like kind of a leave no doubt hit tool, and certainly it, something yeah. he's capable of. And I like Badu. I almost kind of eliminate him from my thought process on these discussions because I was like, he's gonna he's gonna get plenty of major league time regardless of whether he's in Chicago on March twenty eighth, but. Like Kreidler, some of these other names that you listed, I, I just I, I'm more intrigued to see Jay Hen. So I hope it works out uh, for him, and it would be like a because if it did work out, it'd be a nice little feather in the cap of a first traded for player development story, like mm -hmm. in the system up to the bigs of the Scott Harris era. So um, that'd be really nice, and 
I think overall it's, it was still a valuable trade, but it, you'd like it to be a little bit more, especially considering that on the 40 man from the Soto deal, he only got one left. So, yeah. All right. While, while we're talking about players who are not good on defense, I just got to read this from Fangraphs on Colt Keith. Uh, Eric Long and Hangin from Fangraphs is out here making Keith Law look like um, Tigers PR. Know, look like, yeah, look like Tigers PR. Here's Fangraphs on Colt Keith. He is stiff and bulky. His actions are well below average. And while he shows you a big arm when he gets to wind up and really let it eat, he struggles to throw from odd platforms. It's feasible a team could live with him playing third base situationally, situationally. but it's not ideal. And Colt is a 30 grade defender right now. Ouch. That's not great. <laughs> that's not, that's not great. And I'll, I'll tell you, like, obviously you see it, you know, with your own eyes, but and I'm not watching like a lot of minor league tape or whatever, but that clip of him and Jace working with, uh, Cora and, and, and uh, Lombard, uh, was it Lombard or Jones? I can't remember whichever one, uh, on the, the turn, yeah, sure. the turn, I think it actually was Jones. Uh, on the turn, if it was infield, it was probably Gary Jones. Yeah, so. it was the turn, the second base. Oh my God, Keith is a massive dude, man. And Jace no shrimp, you know what I mean? But like, just see a guy that big doing the the double play turn. I was like, gosh, this is. It's gonna take some getting used to. Traditionally, I'm not used to seeing guys like that, you know. No, and again, we watched a very big second baseman, second baseman, and Jonathan Scope for a couple years. Well, Keith looked, starting to look like a tight end, which I admire because he's a physical specimen. But yeah, he, he don't look like no second baseman. So, <laughs> uh, well, speaking of looks like, let's let, let's do this for a couple of minutes, Cody. Uh, what's the deal with these uniforms? Uh, oh. like the, the the news the the good news is that the Tigers will have the City Connect jerseys this year, and I'm sure when they come out, some people will like them, a lot of people will hate them. Uh, that's just kind of how it goes for but a lot of you guys are going to buy them. Oh, you're going to hate them and you're still, still going to buy them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's a win-win for Nike. Nike kind of taking an L and Fanatics taking an L right oh, now. Don't buy any of these jerseys, man. Oof. So what, what, what's like, are they as bad in person as, as they seem or like what, what, because a lot of times Twitter can overreact. So I'm wondering if, is this a Twitter overreaction? No, man, they suck. They're re- they're really bad. It's embarrassing. Some of the reviews, I mean, everyone in the league is talking about it. All the players hate them. They're rolled out poorly. Like the pants are supposedly less customizable. So especially people people with some thicker builds, they like the pants don't fit. The jerseys are a little. The white jerseys are a little more like off white. Looks stupid. The lettering on the back is just terrible. It looks like you know a knockoff jersey. You could you could find at a flea market. Um, for some reason, they just look cheap from afar. They like, they really do. This one's a not big league. I did feel one. I felt Jake Rogers Jersey. Um, it actually was like a felt higher quality than it looks. If that makes any sense. Like the fabric didn't feel cheap. It felt like good Nike fabric, but the overall look is just awful. And I'm like, they're really going to roll out this stupid art, small, weirdly spaced lettering in the regular season. Like, that's embarrassing. The patches seem more like screen printed than, than sewed on. Um, Rob Manford thinks they're great jerseys, though. Uh, <laughs> right, man, I hope they redo it to make a better product. It doesn't sound like they will. They're just going to hope everyone forgets and gets used mm-hmm. to it, which may happen. Uh, but these jerseys are a big step down. It's embarrassing. 
Yeah, I mean, it, my advice to baseball in general would be, like, don't shoot yourself in the foot. Uh, and the guy in charge of the sport has done that from time to time, I think it's fair to say. Uh, but it, it's spring training. Everybody's excited. Now we got players complaining about, like, the jerseys, like, in the locker. And, you know, the, the you contributed to a story uh, that the Athletic did, you know, on the broader sense of this. And they explained it really well. She definitely go, should go read it. Uh, I'm with you. I don't think that anything's going to change. These are... You're not going to be able to redo all this overnight, number one. And number two, whoever's job it is to eat that cost is not going to want to eat the cost. And I think they finally did release, like, the, like, player authentic, whatever the term is for, like, the high-end jerseys that you can buy. Mm-hmm. I think a biased one is, like, three seventy nine or something like that. Just Yeah, don't pay that, guys. Go find an old one. Do what I do and go to eBay and then just search for jerseys and buy them cheap. That's, uh, I actually did that like five times last week. I got the baseball itch, but I don't have it for Fanatics Nike branded rollouts. So, uh, thinking about getting a $20 Allen Iverson Georgetown jersey on Amazon. Do it. I'm like, how bad is it going to look? It looks great on the internet. How bad (laughs) is it going to look when it actually shows up on my porch? I don't know. It's only 20 bucks though, so maybe I'll do it. I got an Austin Jackson and a Pudge for about 35, 40 bucks each. Nice. Uh, Nice. And my thought process on stuff like this is like, am I going to really like the the $40 in two weeks or whatever, or am I going to want the jersey? Yeah. Also not big when adults wearing jerseys of other grown men so that's another conversation that, that, that is, more okay with throwback jerseys so throwback old uh i mean i live like two miles from where uh austin jackson went to high school so i'm like you know and i he's one of one of the more underrated tigers of a generation okay we can talk about this another day uh and also <laughs> nice on the radio i'm a little disappointed he uh didn't get more of a, a go there um but uh but yeah the city connects we very interesting i went to see when they released those Talk about like a staggered, pun intended, uh, non-uniform schedule uh, to release those. It, it varies by team and by year. Like they stagger them like throughout. So we might it may be a thing we like wait till May or something. You just never know. Like it, yeah, it's, sometimes they come out later in the year for sure. So we'll we'll see. But I am curious to see what they do, and definitely looking forward to the reaction. I hope they're good. I don't know if they will be, but I, I hope they're good. I think there's an opportunity to make something cool. Some people will automatically hate them because they're not the old English D from, you know, the 1900s. And I get that. Tigers have great history and tradition, but I don't know. Let's have some fun with the city. Well, it's, it's also, I know they're doing it for every team, but it's also like yeah. nice for a team that has been, um, you know, downtrodden recently. And then also is not in like a major market, like, getting some of the publicity love again i know they do it for every team they do it different years but it's still them being in the news which i like uh and i'll tell you this for the rangers ones last year it was an example of pretty much everybody hated them and then (laughs) within and this is prior to the world series run and then by the end of the regular season you're just kind of like all right i get it yeah yeah they always grow on you is, is my main point there whatever their initial reaction is most likely they'll grow on people i guarantee you that's how it works Especially the teams winning in them, so not wrong. All right, uh, one more kind of silly thing before we dive into some of the player storylines, Cody. I love when you and your fellow B writers put out videos of you know so and so throwing a pen, so and so in the batting cage or whatever, because I I always have to click on them 
so I can hear what music's in the background. I I, I don't know why I'm mm-hmm. I, I'm curious about that, but I just am. So uh, musically, how would you describe the first week of uh, of Tiger's camp? Uh, it seemed like there was a pretty good variety uh, going on. Yeah, there was, and it's a little different. Like I, you're not hearing the cliche songs. Um, normally at the the Lakeland backfields, they'll have music going coming out of the speakers in the center. And, you know, sometimes it's a pretty good varied playlist, but you get a lot of the like typical jock jams or like center field. I mean, you get some hype songs too, but you get those this year. It's been different. Will Vest of all people seems to be in charge. He's carrying around one of those huge speakers that is oddly powerful because you can hear it through the whole complex. And I don't know if he's running the playlist, but uh, it, the music's kind of been a little bit of everything. Some like harder rock some kind of like softer, like almost beach type music, uh, a little bit of like hip hop, but actually not as much. Um, you know, I, I posted a video of Jackson Job during the Evanescence, which I thought was awesome. Uh, pretty, I got good reviews for Will Vest in the music right now. You know, one of my memories from playing high school baseball is our head coach throwing BP to uh, Brandy, you're a fine girl. Such a weird, he was like, Loving it too, Brandy. That's awesome, you're though. fine. That's, that's, He's like throwing BP. Oh, that makes me want to be on a ball field, though. That's awesome. And, and when you look, and I didn't re- realize the lyrics of the song at the time, and then I look back, I was like, "It's kind of an interesting song to throw BP to." But I love it. I love it. Great memories. Uh, Our coach would just turn on Rock 108 in Amarillo, Texas. So you had a bunch of teenagers out there, and at the time, like "Sex Is on Fire" was like a popular <laughs> song. So it was like, eh. Uh, principal probably doesn't need to know about this. <laughs> oh man! All right. Well, something that would be music to Tigers fans' ears, Cody, is if Javi Baez could be Javi Baez and not Javier Baez as he currently stands. And we got a version of best shape of his life, and we have the metaphorical passing of the baton with him taking over Miguel Cabrera's old locker. So another guy that showed up very early um, and and seems to have a good at the way I kind of summarize the the hobby thing to this point is this offseason based on what AJ has said based on what he has said I'm not sure if Scott's talked about it much on the record or not it seems like he did pretty much everything that was asked of him this offseason, and it seems like he took all the necessary steps to have some semblance of a bounce-back year. And when I say that, I'm not talking about 2017, 18, 19 Javi Baez. I mean, just a bounce-back year now that this guy's on the other side of 30. Uh, that's all you can really ask for at this point. But we did have, this is one of my favorite things, the Ringer's Brian Curtis, he calls this, the now they tell us story and the now they tell us story in this case was Javi dealing with core and back issues uh not saying they're not legitimate it's just funny that like a year later we can talk freely about it because that's just that's just the way that it goes so uh your impression of the now richest current player on the Tigers and someone who is quite literally front and center for this organization as uh as we're on the eve of the first official workout where, where do you start with Javier, man? I don't... I actually like... Like, I feel like we're more positive regarding Javier than, than most people on this pod. 
but I don't, I don't know what to make of it. All right. He's sometimes the guy's just a mystery and it's clear. He did some things different this off season. A lot of it's still kind of vague. The back issue I think is really interesting. We didn't know about it before, but we still don't know exactly what's wrong with the back. AJ Hinch said, yeah, we're, we were aware of it. Didn't really say a lot of like how much did it actually impact his performance. I don't think we know. This is like back pain with age. Did he have a cold muscle? Is there something bigger going on? We don't know. But I don't. I, I think. I think clearly, Javi took things a little more seriously this offseason. The simple fact he showed up to Lakeland early is encouraging. Uh, does seem like he altered his training regimen to strengthen the core. Maybe that'll help him out a little bit. You know, he parked his Lamborghini in an actual parking <laughs> space the first day, which I thought was amazing. Second day, though, guy was back on the curb. Yeah, I, I just laughed when I rolled up. But, uh, that's hobby for you. Um, if he can hit 20 homers and play good defense, you'll be happy with it. He can still be a two-plus win shortstop if he does that. And I think that's where you need to set expectations. Uh, the guy's not going to be an MVP finalist probably ever again. You could still be a lot worse off at shortstop, as we've said multiple times. If you can get a little more out of the guy at the plate, and if he can stay healthy and continue to move well in the field, which he does, a uh, guy grades out as a plus defender despite his awful throws, which actually tell you how great his glove work is. Um, but that's, that's what I—that's kind of where I'm setting the bar for Javi this season. I think it was AJ who said, you know, he's the number one guy that gets a reaction of you know the fan base, you know, media players, you know, blah blah blah, uh, and it's so true. And it's so true. And the the conundrum. It's it's a, when when I write about Javi, like the numbers on a Javi bias story are so much <laughs> higher than any other Tigers player. I think a lot of it is Chicago based. Like it always finds its way on like Cubs Twitter, and he's he's just a hero in Chicago. In addition to you know a, a star in Puerto Rico and and really around the world. Um. So despite his performance, man, his brand is still so huge. It's it's. Kind of crazy. Well, he's absolutely the kind of player that could very well be a Detroit folk hero. Like, cause we we talk about it all the time on this on this podcast. Like, he he's a he's a he kind of is a lunch pail guy. Like, he goes he plays almost every game and plays through injuries a lot, and that's probably and he has like some flash and some flair that that we like as well. Um, Maybe this is just him needing to mature, but is there is this? Did the Tigers feel like they need to save him from himself? Because they talked about maybe he said he might be a little bit more honest if he's hurt, maybe not necessarily injured, but hurt, and maybe needs a day. And and AJ, you know, talks about like monitoring and all that stuff. And that's a, like one of the, that's every player that's like a million things. Like, could they could they do something like that to try to get the best out of him? Like, I'm sure there's got to be some sort of plan to try to get the best out of Javier. And maybe that's like a small piece of it, especially as a guy that's got almost a hundred million dollars left on his contract and is only gonna get, you know, a game that doesn't was never gonna yeah. age gracefully. Yeah, I mean that's the cynical part of this. You got four more years. Feels it's gonna be a long time. And the Tigers are not the first people to have tried to save Javier Baez from himself. They're not the first people who've Talk to him about making some swing adjustments. They're not the first people who have approached him with different training regimens or ways he can improve his work habits. 
He probably has implemented some of those things this past offseason more than he ever has in his career. Uh, but I think you got to remind yourself that nothing is new. Even Javi still says, I'm still going to be me, you know, and, and it, that's the type of player and the type of athlete he is. Like, that's what we're dealing with. You're trying to get a little more out of him. But I think you also have to temper expectations in the process. If you can keep him engaged and keep him having fun, that's that's really the bigger key than anything. And that's a difficult thing to do. It's probably contingent on the team winning, the ballpark being full. Um, I think those little emotional things will honestly make a bigger difference for Javier Baez than anything else. Where does he fit in this lineup? Because I see some projections where, he, like, it, no one really knows where, like... I mean, bottom, bottom. Like, bottom where? Bottom. Like, eight? Seven, eight, nine? Uh, eight, probably. I think he started hitting eight a lot last year. I think that probably makes sense. And, I mean, that's just wild to think about. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just really saying, like the, like, the notion... Imagine saying that five years ago. You know what I mean? Three years ago. Uh, like, yeah. it... It's crazy. And, you know, in fairness, some of that's a reflection of some progressed and productive hitters that have, like, kind of come through the system. But it's it's still it's still crazy to think about. Um, let's go to another player that had the big buzz this week. Jackson Job, who will not make the team. Uh, I, lo- I, lo- I love AJ. I love AJ Hinch quotes, man. He's like, yeah, yeah. He's not gonna make the team. I told him, or I'm gonna tell him that, whatever it exactly was, because he's lumping him and Ty Madden together. Uh, you know, they're not gonna make the team. I, you know, focus on, you know, preparation. Blah 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 blah. Yeah, all well and good. I just it's probably the earliest I've ever told a player. Like, uh, a- yeah. a- AJ, AJ can be gold sometimes, man. Uh, but it's it's probably good that he did say that because based on like one bullpen session or whatever, if if that quote wasn't out there, we'd all be talking about is there a way that he can make this team? Because uh, <laughs> there's probably no one who's had better rave reviews so far. I know it's only a weekend than Jackson Joe. It was probably smart of AJ to put out that fire before it could get started, <laughs> but uh, Jackson Joe, <laughs> man, his bullpen was really good. It's just a bullpen. But there, there are two guys whose bullpens stand out from everyone else. And it's Scooble and it's, it's Jackson Job. Uh, like the easy velocity man, just effortless, freaking zipping it in there toward the end. The big breaking ball. Like you, you, it, I, I now see what every Tiger scout saw, or not every Tiger scout, what the Tiger scout saw when they drafted him. Like you watch that, and it's hard to not just think, wow, if we can refine this a little bit might have something on our hands here. And there have probably been pitchers, you know, who've had such rave reviews for spring bullpens before and then they've <laughs> never gone on to do anything. So uh, we should we should keep that in mind here. But Mr. Job's having quite the spring. I'm really excited to see him in a game. If nothing else, uh, he's going to be worth watching this year. I think there's probably still a hurdle or two he's going to have to climb over. Uh, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if he pitches in the major leagues this season. So, like, what are so we hear that hurdles this like what, tangibly? What like what what are they really looking for? Is it just is it something as simple as consistency? Because uh, he's got the potential to be a, what, a five pitch guy. Like that's kind of like what we're uh, probably, four. probably four fastball cutter. 
big slider uh, changeup, which the changeup's gotten a lot better. He's kind of done away with the curveball. Yeah. So, um, so I, I'm not. Yeah, I think more but... consistency with the breaking balls. Okay. Right. He's kind of tweaked them. Uh, they're good, but can they be effective in the strike zone? He got a lot better last year at having different offerings, being less predictable. The cutter helped in that, but that's still a work in progress. Um, you know, he's had a lot more success with the fastball, but uh, how's that going to go? Will the changeup play against righties and lefties at the higher level? Um does his velocity will his velocity be sustained when he starts pitching 140, 150 innings, and also health? The back injury thing is still I I don't know. He seems really healthy right now. Uh, like everybody, he's he's strengthened it, changed his training regimen to protect against future injury. But I think with every pitcher, uh, you always got to worry about health. So it's a lot of little things, which is good. Like, I think the bigger things he really improved on last year. And now it's those small adjustments to really become a great pitcher. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm just going to wager to say he just probably doesn't have that many professional innings uh, under his belt, which kind of makes no, he doesn't. makes this uh, this rise all the more uh, impressive. And between him and Javi and Casey Mize, I'm getting tired about reading about backs like with the Tigers. Uh, which that was another storyline from early, earlier in the week, Cody. Uh, well, let me ask you like this. You said on this podcast that the first thing you're going to do is you're going to ask Casey Mize, when's the last time you pitched a, a game healthy? Did you ask that question and did you get the, uh, an interesting response? I asked it. It's actually the second question I asked <laughs> him because we were on some other topic first. Um, I got the response. That's a tough question, man. So I didn't really get an answer, but, but did, though. the answer still perked up my antenna like, oh, and then kind of got the like, everyone's always dealing with something type answer. Um, but I got the impression. I mean, I, I went back and looked. Casey last year said he had been dealing with back issue for, quote, years. So Casey might just not pitch fully healthy in, quote, years. We're probably talking Auburn. Uh, maybe his first year in the minors, but he encountered an arm issue, you know, later in that season. Which is both in a way concerning, in a way provides some hope because he probably is the most healthy he has been as a professional right now, which is why I'm so interested to see him pitch. Um, I don't, I, I'm kind of out of the business of scouting spring training bullpens, but I'll tell you, you know, watching his command didn't look great in a bullpen. Uh, and man's usually a hard thing for guys in their first year back from Tommy John now, because Casey probably could have pitched at the end of last year and didn't like, he's a little further out than we think of for a guy, you know, first year off Tommy John. Um, but I think that'll be the thing to watch, especially like command of secondary pitches. What is that going to be like for Casey this year? Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he encounters some hiccups there. Um, and Mize has been realistic about that too, which I think is interesting. Well, yeah, realistic about that, and his like, what is it, three point five? Is a three point five team option next year? Uh, whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah, three point one, three point one. Which he was like, yeah, I'm probably not going to hit that. <laughs> which I got some comments like, oh, so Casey doesn't have, and it's like, no, he's dude knows the business of the game. Uh, 
It's very it simple. Seems like you could Tigers probably get it for cheaper if you're the Tigers on, in ARB than yes. you would. And so they, they tacked on this option. Basically, just to say, oh, yeah, we don't negotiate one-year deals after the deadline to exchange salary figures. So really, they gave him a one-year deal with, like, a pointless option that he and his agents were just like, I mean, yeah, sure. And Casey knows he's probably not going to hit it. That's it. Like, that's really interesting. I'm glad they didn't sit there and quabble further over the 25K or whatever it was. But also, it's like, okay, so... What was the point of this option? I don't. I don't really know. I get he gets a, a, an additional 10k if it's declined, which then puts him to the 840 or whatever. And business of baseball is weird sometimes. But Casey knows it, and he's, he's not kidding himself about it. He's a smart dude. Yeah, he really is. Oh, we've always called him a thinker. I actually just looked to see if he was like an econ major or something in college. He wasn't. Uh, but like, yeah, but like he's, he spoke like a, like a kind of a businessman a little bit in that instance. Uh, an, another example of the rebuild kind of getting into a different stage is you have, what was at one time the face of the rebuild kind of talking about the intricacies of the business of arbitration, <laughs> uh, you know, years later. So, and I, Oh, how time flies. Yeah, and he's got a beard now. So, I mean, that would, that was starting to see, man, this guy's all grown up. My first spring training, he was the attraction. Now he's like on the comeback for both Casey Mize and I. This is six spring trainings. I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm just passing us by here. I, I didn't like. I don't like it. Yeah, it's uh, the, you know, the years go by uh, really, really quickly. Uh, I mean, it's hard to imagine. Like you talked about the, you know, like is spring training too long thing, but it did kind of remind me. This is the first normal spring training of the decade 2020 interruptions uh 2021 uh uh what what there's something that was that was that lockdown or that was still that was still COVID. that was still covid that we still had covid protocols 2022 was lockout last spring was world baseball baseball classic so i don't know is (laughs) is that something that a team like this is that better for a team like this or does all these little things? I um, I think for the majority of teams, especially the Tigers, they only had a couple guys in the WBC and they were veteran guys. I think last spring was pretty normal for the Tigers. So I, I think, you know, not a lot changes here. Yeah, but it's, it, it is, but again, to talk about years going by, it is kind of crazy to think about that pretty much every year of the past, however long, there was always something extracurricular or weird or catastrophic going on in the case of in in the case of 2020 but you know you, you talked about mize being like the showcase of, of spring training and now it's job or whatever but can you go back and think like would you was your would your intrigue go up for the potential is higher for the potential of job right now as it was mize back then or is it like about the same because again different career arcs uh college yeah. versus prep but there is a one versus a three overall pick, so it's like, you know, kind of similar. I think Mize was the bigger story because there was nothing else positive going on for the Tigers. It was going to be a really bad team in 2019, and anyone with a brain knew it, and the storyline was the rebuild. We got the number one overall pick. It's Casey Mize. He was the storyline. This year, I think Job has a higher ceiling as a pitcher. But there are a lot of other things to talk about. So although Job is a big attraction, he's not the main attraction. I mean, that's a sign of organizational growth uh, right there. 
And uh, have you gotten a chance to talk to Riley Green yet? Has he spoken? Uh, he he spoke with some reporters the day before I got down here, so I've kind of said hi to Riley, but have not sat down and had a conversation with him. Figure I'll wait until I have something new to ask him about um, that he hasn't already heard before I'll do that <laughs> one. But he's is here, he looking he's looking right? good, he's healthy, he's taking cuts. Uh, yeah, all all things are well with Riley Green. Good, good, because that's a I don't know, just the weirdness of an offhand Tommy John. Like it's it's like you don't really know like you know, what to expect, but, you know, based on some of the social media and, and photos and all that stuff, seems like a guy that's, you know, in good spirits and all that stuff, and, yeah, I, it, we probably don't say it enough, a lot riding on this guy, a lot riding on Riley Green. A lot, even to be healthy, we got some bromance stories, though, okay. he, uh, he was kind enough to pick to work up at the Orlando airport at 5.30 a.m., oh. work got in the car, and they drove straight to Lakeland, got to work. And then they're staying at an Airbnb, and I don't know what exactly what happened. Riley lost the key or something. They got locked out of their Airbnb. So <laughs> still two guys in their early twenties, just uh, you know, just going through some shenanigans on some level, which I which I appreciate. I envy is is what is what I do. I envy just being that young and the world in front of you and. Yeah, but but damn near all these guys are freaking engaged now. So the two guys getting some teasing for not being engaged: Riley Green and Jason Foley. Uh, <laughs> Alex Lane called Jason Foley single boy, and uh, Riley said, "Guess who's not getting engaged in the next five years?" And raised his hand. It's kind of like you're probably a wise man, Mister Green. All right, I, I respect the honesty. Uh, <laughs> and. Uh, I'll tell you what, this was not submitted. Now we're just kind of playing pepper with topics, which I don't mind. I got a lot uh, on my mind. Uh, I would submit Andrew Chafin as maybe best shape of his life guy. Uh, no one's really talking about it, but I saw that video of him with his uh, remote control truck, and I was like, Andrew looked like he shed some weight now. He looks he looks good. I've already had a little bit of uh, Chafin and Foley banter, which I love, <laughs> and he... In Andrew Chafin's terms, he does appear to be slimmer and in better shape. He's still got, he's still Andrew Chafin, but uh, he's talked, he, he took things a little bit more seriously through, I think, uh, bullpens instead of long toss and actually kind of did some workouts, which I don't think he had ever really done before. <laughs> so uh, right now, he is the early best shape of his life award. You're right. It's Andrew Chafin, of all people. I mean, uh, the odds on that would have been that would have been a great bet. We should have we should have maybe anticipated some version of that because he said that he was actually like going to like what his alma mater or whatever to do some yeah do some training or whatever. But I mean, State, who could yeah. have uh, who could have in- anticipated that? Well, let's transition to some some of some of the moves that the Tigers made over the past couple of days. You mentioned Keston Her- uh, Hira, right? Hira. Uh, and they acquired Blake Dickerson for some bonus pool, international bonus pool money. Uh, one, a move that we could see some impact with this season. Another one that will be years away. But just another example. If you ever think Scott's sleeping, no, no, no. Scott's Scott don't Scott, sleep. Scott, <laughs> Scott. He's I a- told Scott. I was like, man. Well, key thing, I was on my last day of vacation, we were in the car, and he, he's kind of like, yeah, I know, I'm sorry, I knew I was not going to be a popular figure among the writers that day. <laughs> and he pointed out, he's like, man, I, I don't get vacation. All right. He gets paid the big bucks, but it's it, it, 
being a baseball executive, man, even compared to other sports, is is probably the most full calendar. I do not envy that for a second. Uh, and yeah, he's busy early in spring training, getting a 19 year old six foot six pitcher in exchange for international bonus money. I don't even know what the story is there. And uh, honestly, we're going to talk about that. You know, if this kid makes it, we'll talk about him in two years. Yeah. For now, let's talk about Ketson here. I was about you to know, say, maybe, you like this move. Maybe. I don't dislike it. I don't like it. I think it's a, a, a sensible move. You get him on a minor league deal. You basically get a free look at a guy who has hit 20 homers in the big leagues before, or 19 as a rookie. Interesting career arc, big time, like top 10 prospect. Uh, big dude, outgrew second base, now plays first base, and the bat went cold. You could argue he's a cautionary tale. You could argue he's why someone like Colt Keith was wise to take the money when it was there in front of him. Uh, you could argue you hope the likes of Jace Young don't become Kesson Hira. Uh, but so it, I, I think that's why I, I, I have a hard time seeing him making the roster. He can pretty much just play first base. He's too big for second base. He's been terrible at it. He's played a little bit of outfield. I don't know exactly how he reviews there. Probably not great. He hasn't done a lot in the big leagues. He has a right-handed bat. Uh, maybe he could DH a little bit. He spent all last year in AAA. He raked in AAA. It seems like everyone rakes in AAA. Strikes out at a crazy clip, more than 40% in 2022. So that's really concerning. Does not seem sustainable. And at the same time, it's like, oh, he had a 113 OPS plus. He was better at the plate than Spencer Torkelson was last year. So where it's like, ah, oh, can't soon hear his career is over, but Spencer Torkelson's on the rise. <laughs> but actually, last time we saw this guy in the majors, in some ways he was really bad, but you boil it down to one metric and he was productive offensively. Um, if he is offensive depth, if you're able to stash him and keep him in AAA as like a backup first baseman, I think you can feel good about it. Maybe he shows you he's unlocked something. Again, you don't have to pay him real money unless he makes the big league roster. Seems wise to bring a guy like this into camp. We can talk about him being in the mix. Um, I don't think he has enough of like position, definitely not multiple positions to really fit on the Tigers roster pending injuries. Yeah. I mean, what's the loss here uh, on taking a, a move like that? And especially someone who's, you know, had some, some ups and downs in the major leagues. Like that's, that's valuable if you're going to kind of put something like that out there. So uh, let, let, let's wrap up with this, Cody. So we talked a lot of kind of big picture stuff uh, earlier in the pod and it's typical like opening of spring training. And one of the things that I had said over the past couple of years is that like in order for kind of rebuilds to shoot up, you kind of need the unexpected rises. And that to this point is Kerry Carpenter. There's a there's another one of those in, in the system right now. You wrote about it in The Athletic and that's Justice Bigby. And uh and, and a guy that I would describe his story as I understand it, kind of a miracle. Like, he, he's a guy right now who projects to eventually make the big leagues. And as a 19th round pick, like, that's far from expected. Um, and I don't, I don't know what the odds are, but I'm sure they're low. Uh, but as it turns out, there's way more miracles in, uh, in his life than just 19th round to potentially making a major league team. 
Yeah, it's it's one of those great stories, and, and spring training is the best time of year to learn about and, and tell and appreciate these stories. Justice Pigney, number one, I mean, he's like Terry Carpenter 2.0. Such a similar trajectory, similar story, similar rise, and a guy that it was easy to look at last year, and you'd see some highlights on Twitter, and you'd be like, okay, he's doing well in double A, like, whatever. And then you look and he hit like 340 over the course of the year and he was too good for the Eastern League and a small taste of AAA. He did okay. He went to the Arizona Fall League. He did pretty good. Scott Harris talking about him was like, we talked about that level-headed like realism. There's no hedging talking about Justice Bigby. He was, Scott Harris is excited about him. He's like, he breaks. We're so proud of him. There are a couple of things we think he can do better. Uh, but he talked, he's put himself on the big league radar and that tells me that like, this is real there. He's going to probably start the year in Toledo. And if a couple dominoes fall, he might make his big league debut. I don't know if he'll have the success in the big leagues. Kerry Carpenter has, but I think we've learned enough about justice big B now to realize it would be foolish to write him off. He's a young hitter worth paying some attention to. And you learn more about him, man. He's He's got the great story, really better than his stories, his mother's. Survived cancer on three different occasions, which is, you know, I talked to her and uh, it, it's a tough interview because how do you even, you try to put yourself in the other person's shoes and I, I just can't do that with someone who's gone through it, not once, but twice, but three times. Uh, starting when she was 16, doctors initially didn't think she was going to live. She had a rare bone cancer. She beat that. Comes a mom, gets her 30s, gets breast cancer, beats it. You think you're all in the clear, just as Bigby's in college, and uh, cancer comes back. She's diagnosed for a third time. Some of this is going on in the height of the pandemic. She has to go to Houston for treatment. Justice is off playing ball. Uh, she, she's alone. She had to pay for the travel and the treatments and uh, I cannot imagine the hardships the family went through. Obviously, his mom, Sarah. I don't think anyone can fully know what that's like. Uh, and then Justice is trying to focus on his career. He started as a walk-on at a small school in Western Carolina. And by the end, he's conference player of the year, has himself on draft radars, kind of gets gypped in the 2020 draft, doesn't get selected, goes in the 19th round the next year. He's an older prospect. And now here he is. He's one of the most interesting guys at Tiger Spring Training. So uh, definitely a story worth rooting for in Justice Big B. Yeah. And again, like one of those, I'm not putting any expectations on him or whatever, but uh, the Kerry Carpenters of the world, potentially the Justice Big Bs of the world, those are, we always focus on first round picks, maybe even second round picks and free agent signings and all that stuff. But every champion has those kind of guys that, you know, either came out of nowhere or got a second chance or, you know, the like school bowl to a certain extent is an example of this. So, uh, yeah, really, really, uh, cool story. And, uh, you, you just come, you come away from it, like admiring him and especially his mother, because again, like I far be it for me to think about a going through cancer B like with, you know, three children and you know, all this stuff, like, no, no, I couldn't even imagine. So, uh, Hopefully we get to see her on the on the Bally monitor watching Justice, you know, yeah. make his major league debut and all that stuff. I'm sure that'll be an amazing moment. Uh, but that's again one of the reasons that we love this sport is that like guys like Justice, like Carrie, can seemingly come out of nowhere and fulfill like a lifelong dream. You don't get that in in every walk of life. So uh, 
I hope everybody takes the time to, to read that on The Athletic and all of Cody's work uh, throughout spring training, which uh, I feel like we bounced around a lot today, Cody, but that's okay. It's first, you know, first spring training, first, you know, there's a lot of... A lot th- to talk about, lot, yeah. A lot, lot of... Th- Lot to talk about, kind of a lot of theoretical stuff, and 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 now the work really begins. So, uh, is there anything else you wanted to uh, get into before we get out of here? Oh gosh, I feel like we probably didn't even cover everything. But one of the things about baseball and spring training, next week we're probably going to have a whole different set of topics. And someone could come up injured, someone else could join the organization, someone's going to crush in live BPs, you know, <laughs> so like it gets. It's a lot of speculation that probably ultimately is not going to matter come opening day, but it's it's a fun time of year. It's my favorite time of year. So uh, thanks to everyone for following along. Yeah. Well, thank you for following on X at Cody Stavenhagen. I'm at Kieran underscore Steckley pod page at Turn Corner Pod. YouTube, Turning the Corner Podcast, Apple, Spotify, uh, five-star review if you feel so inclined. So for Cody Stavenhagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Everybody have a great week. Thank you.